listening to Left in the Middle, a podcast dedicated to elevating the stories of those who hold progressive ideas and values while living in rural spaces. Welcome back to Left in the Middle Pod. I'm your host, Danielle Hilzer. My guest on this episode is Andrew McCarty of Hastings, Nebraska. Andrew uses he, him pronouns. He grew up in Grand Island and has spent all but seven years of his life in central Nebraska. Andrew is a registered nurse and a small business owner. He is passionate about public health, education, and civic engagement. Now, Andrew and I talked for nearly two hours about being a progressive and conservative spaces. He's just a really awesome conversationalist and is whip smart. But don't worry, the podcast won't be two hours. I hope you enjoy episode five of Left in the Middle. Okay, Andrew, thanks so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Um, it's fun to to sit down and have conversations about politics and some things that are, you know we have in common. Um, Andrew and I have known each other for a little while. I think we met, we the two of us met, what, it's when we were been, teaching in Oglala together? It's probably been about 11 years ago. 11 years ago, yeah. yeah. Like, well, yeah, 11 years ago. Yeah. So we met um, when we were teaching together in Western Nebraska, but Andrew has known my husband and his family for many, many years. They went to the same church together and kind of grew up in the similar circles, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's cool to talk, cool to talk about something different with you. Thanks so much for being here. So the first question that I want to ask you is a question that I'm asking everyone because I really want to flesh out this idea of progressivism and what does that mean? And I want to show that um, it has a full spectrum of meanings and it means something different for each person. So my question for you is, how do you define the term progressive? And then how does this term connect to your own life and ideas, if at all? Okay, so this is a really good question. And when I heard it, um, when I've heard it, listening to every, every person you've interviewed and hearing their answers, uh-huh. I, it actually made me be more reflective, I oh, guess, of like yeah. what I, so it's a very good question. Cool. Um, but I think the best way like I can describe it is, um, well, I really enjoy listening to the Al Franken podcast and regularly he quotes um, a former senator from Minnesota. Um, the senator's name is Paul Wellstone and Paul Wellstone has a quote. We all do better when we all do better. Oh yeah. And so I just, I just kind of feel like that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of like my, my broad definition of it, I guess. I mean, I think of terms like equality, like that pops up a lot too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pro- progressivism and like being a progressive person, I think is is a catch-all phrase for like we all do better when we all do better. Yeah. You know, so I guess that's that's kind of like my my thought about the that's term. Cool. I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Did Jane Club quote that in her book? I feel like that I might believe, have been. The I believe she did. I finished reading her book back in January, but I do believe that she quoted him. And the book. story she tells about that senator is fantastic. I mean, it's a good touch point, you know. Yeah, and and I think that I feel more comfortable probably being labeled as um, progressive mm-hmm. as compared to like liberal yeah. or even Democrat. Um, <laughs> and then like if, if your other word like socialism, uh-huh. like all those terms 
are just very abrasive terms yeah. to anybody that's like more conservative than you. Yeah. So I think like the term progressive, it's a little bit easier, I think, for people mm-hmm. to digest mm-hmm. if you're talking to somebody else about politics or your, you know, or your views on different things that like progressive is just, it's just like easier on the ears. Yeah. I like that. That's awesome. So how does this term then progressivism, how does it connect to your own life and ideas? Okay. I just think like I was raised in a house. I was raised in a, in a, in a family, a uh, Christian home, mm-hmm. go to church every week. But I think the life lessons that were taught like to me growing up was just like looking out for other people. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. generally speaking, look out for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in like being involved, whether it was like church or, or like Boy Scouts growing up. Yeah. And we did like a lot of service events or activities, volunteering, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of those things were just taught to me at such an early age. And I saw my parents doing those things at such an early age, volunteering and 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 just being involved in the community and, and things like that, sure. mm-hmm. that I think it's just, it's been ingrained in me to be that type of person that Mm -hmm. if somebody is getting the short end of the stick to figure out like, why are they? Yeah. And then how can that be fixed? Mm -hmm. So everybody's on a more equal playing ground. Mm. So I think like, that's probably where it came from. It is just like my, my own upbringing. So one of the things that really interests me is, is there's been a lot of talk in the unicameral this session about keeping young people in Nebraska I know Megan Hunt had this really great sort of mini speech um, the unicameral a couple of weeks ago about how we will have a hard time keeping young people in Nebraska as long as we're not passing LGBTQ friendly policies, you know, or thinking about things from a different lens and perspective. And so, you know, one of the things I'm interested in is I talk with young people that live in Nebraska right now um, and that have grown up in Nebraska and that have stayed in Nebraska. Like what made you choose to stay in Nebraska and then settle down in rural Nebraska? Not property taxes. I guess <laughs> I say that because okay. that's like the biggest <laughs> megaphone from the very conservative people in the unicameral is, yeah. you know, like property taxes is the number one biggest issue in this state. Yeah. Like there's other issues other than property taxes, but yes. that, when you throw out that term, it just fires up lots of people. No. So, so the last my college career was actually, I, I kind of bounced around a little bit because I mm-hmm. transferred schools after my soft middle of my junior year of college. Okay. And um, so I, I did go to Nebraska Wesleyan for my first two and a half years. Okay. And then I moved out of state and finished up my last year and a half. I lived in Arizona for one semester and then I finished up at a school in California, the University of Redlands. And just like my own like family issues, life events that like crop up. That um, that's really kind of what brought me back to Nebraska. And I think to sort of tie it into the larger theme of of talking about rural spaces and communication with people in rural spaces, if you're a more progressive person, I feel like that is one thing we all have in common is Mm -hmm. this like family super important. And I've known lots of people that have moved out of the state for college or otherwise and it just takes like, whether it's a family event or, mm-hmm. or something, you know, that like maybe brings them a little closer, closer back to the Midwest because, you know, they always talk about Midwestern values and sensibilities and those sorts of things. But I think like family is just so important to 
everyone here, like that sense of family and community that I think that's huge common ground. But the reason I decided to stay really, I mean, it is, it is being close to family. It's, it's the fact that my parents and my brothers, like they live up in Grand Island. My Mm in-laws live here in Hastings, you know, we'll joke around me more than my wife, but you know, we'll joke around about like, gosh, it'd be really great. You know, if we like moved to Portland, (laughs) or I mean like moved (laughs) to the Pacific Northwest or we moved somewhere else where you were around more Mm -hmm. like-minded people. Mm -hmm. Um, or you felt a little more connected to others who were like-minded, which is why you have this podcast. The current state of everything, it just kind of makes you frustrated and you kind of think like you're, you're fighting an uphill battle here in a, in a state predominantly conservative. And I guess my thought process is, is like, well, if I'm not going to be a voice, Mm -hmm. then who is? You You start to kind of think that way, like not everybody thinks like uber conservative people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there are reasonable people that live here but if they're only getting a message from one side then that's probably like where they're going to gravitate towards so it's almost like codependency like we got to help these people (laughs) out right that like if if you don't do it if I don't do it if we don't do this together like Mm -hmm. then who's going to do it you know it's just going to be this vacuum and I think, you know, one of the things that my partner and I have this conversation all the time, you know, you know, we live in Grand Island. We, we talk all the time about moving back to Omaha. You know, we talk all the right. time about moving to Minneapolis or Chicago, somewhere else in the Midwest. We love the Midwest. We, yeah. we really do. But we talk frequently about moving to like an urban center. And one of the things that holds me to rural Nebraska is, you know, something about what you said is that if everybody moves, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then then what? And I think that there's some value, like we all do better when, when, when we we're able to better. have hard conversations, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. we, we actually get, we actually get further, I think, when we have some like healthy civil disagreement and discourse. Honestly, like my, my parents and I hold very different political views and same. very different political leanings. And, and I feel comfortable saying that. And I know they would say the same, you know, about, about me. But I think that like I've come to understand things so much differently by having conversations with my parents or I've come to understand things so much differently by living around people that hold such vastly different beliefs than me. And it's softened me a little bit. You know, I mean, I still have a tendency to just want to burn down the whole shit show. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The system needs to go. The system needs to go. And I talk frequently about like burning things down. I'm getting a tattoo on Friday with a match and a flame. Um, And, uh, and so frequently I talk about that, but, but I think, you know, living here has also helped me to mature a little bit in that, you know, and to be able to listen and to hold space um, for different ideas and think about how other people's ideas, while they might be different from mine, how they can teach me something. And I still think like, even though I am far to the left on lots of things, I mean, you still have to have like a a healthy balance of somebody that's sort of pulling you back the other direction because, and and that's like national politics too. It just seems like the pendulum swings one way and then it swings completely back the other way. And most people in in our country, not most mm-hmm. people in our state, but most people in the country, they do kind of fall in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. And without like a civil discourse, like, well, then I guess that's that's not democracy. I mean, right. so you you have to have those conversations with people that don't see your point of view because mm-hmm. hopefully going to be able to work through some of those differences 
to come to some type of compromise yeah. that is, you know, you're never going to agree on everything with, with everybody, but mm-hmm. there's got to be a way to come to decisions where it's like, it benefits the majority of people, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. whatever it is you're talking about, it benefits the majority of people. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think, you know, that kind of leads into this next question that I want to ask you a little bit and it's switching gears. Um, but you know, when we were chatting a little bit through uh, messenger before the recording, you mentioned that you reluctantly started writing letters to the editor last fall about the election. And I really like, I want to hone in on that word reluctantly. So I, can you talk a little bit about like, what, what were your reservations about writing these letters to the editor specifically around election type issues? Yeah. So it all started, you can Google search all of my letters to the editor, by the way, if you just, (laughs) my name, Hastings Tribune, voice of the people, you'll find all of them. Um, I think I've had like five in the Mm -hmm. paper in the last, well, since September, I feel sometimes like I'm enemy number one (laughs) of of some people. (laughs) Like they just can't stand reading what I have to say. Right. But I feel like they've been very well written. It started back in September I was outside, I was finishing up yard work. And at that time, I only had one, like Biden Harris sign in my yard, I think. Mm -hmm. I I think, um, I think I might have gotten a couple other signs from from Jane or Tom or somebody like Keystone XL or or some other sign. And before that, I had actually uh, done a little bit as like a block captain with Uh the with the Democratic Party. And so I, I had my sign in my yard. And there was I don't want to say like stereotypic big truck, but mm-hmm. a truck drove down our street. I did not get a glimpse at who it was. I just heard the voice, but it basically was just like expletive Biden. I didn't know mm-hmm. if we could curse on the podcast, so I won't drop the F-bomb. They yelled it out and and my back was turned to the street. Mm-hmm. So like by the time I turned around, it was just the truck was just driving sure. off. And I didn't yell anything back. Right. I did not like respond negatively. Right. I reached out to someone, Jane or someone, and and got two more signs and yep. put them in my yard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was like my way of being, you know, non-confrontational, you know. Sure. But the day, and, and, and then I wrote a letter to the editor yeah. about this incident yeah. and about how kind of what we were talking about with like civil discourse and, sure. you know, it's okay to disagree with people. Mm-hmm. I feel like all of that has just been ratcheted up to unhealthy yeah. You know, whether it's yelling or other even more violent things. But mm-hmm. but so I wrote a letter to the editor. I talked about Trumpism. I talked about like how, you know, it's unfortunate that in these rural spaces, like people have just really embraced this in your face, brash, you know, aggressive behaviors and mm-hmm. ideas. And and that Sunday at church, a lady came up to me and thanked me for it. She said mm-hmm. she was a lifelong Republican. Wow. And she goes, and I appreciated you writing that in the paper. Well, the That's day amazing. it was published, that night, our signs got vandalized. And I was like, I feel like this is not a coincidence. No. Like, somebody read this in the paper. They found out where we live or something. Yeah. And then my signs uh, the next morning were completely destroyed. Yeah. And the next week, I bought a doorbell camera. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never, like, felt the need to have one. Right. But... I felt pretty vulnerable, not like fearful, but sure. I just felt really vulnerable because it's like somebody stepped on our property. Yeah, they knew somebody where I lived. Put, yeah. Somebody put foot on our property and vandalized mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. So what's what's going to stop them from 
throwing a brick through our window. Mm-hmm. What's going to stop somebody from vandalizing my car that has mm-hmm. a, you know, vote for uh, Democrats in Nebraska sticker mm-hmm. on it? Like, mm-hmm. what's going to stop somebody right now from doing that? Because, again, yeah. it goes back to this, like, in-your-face mm-hmm really aggressive, I don't agree with you stance on stuff. Yeah. And so after that happened, me being super stubborn, I just kind of like dug my heels in and I'm like, well, I took like a deep breath. I guess I I was just like, well, I guess it's time for me to write more letters. (laughs) Like I, I didn't know what else to do because I really wanted to just fire off another letter that said, by the way, my signs got vandalized. Yeah. And you know, and then kind of riff off of that. But mm-hmm. it started off with that letter. I I wrote one before they um, decided on the mask policy back in November. I went to a city council meeting, like mm-hmm. in my scrubs and, mm-hmm. and everything, and talked to the city council meeting. I wrote one about most recently, just like two or three weeks ago. I had one in about vaccinations and how right. I've been working vaccination clinics every every week ever since I got vaccinated. Yeah. I've been working vaccination clinics twice a week for like 10 weeks now. Right. And and again, I I feel like my writing, I mean, I've had numerous people in various situations, like even at the vaccination clinic, somebody I did not know, mm-hmm. every time somebody comes up, they're next in line, I say my name's Andrew, I'm a nurse at the hospital. Yeah. Um, I'll be giving your vaccination today and I've had at least a handful of people say, are you the one that writes the letters to the editor? And I'm like, yep, that's yeah, that's me. me." I'm the letter to the editor guy. (laughs) And they're not saying it obviously to, you know, to give me a hard time about it, but you know, they just said like, I just appreciate, and I have no idea if they are like Trumpy Republicans. I mean, they could still be like super conservative people. They just appreciate like a sensible voice. That's like, a well-spoken or well-written mm-hmm. like thing that maybe contradicts some of the stuff they're listening to or hearing on right. a regular basis. So it's, I, I say reluctantly just because it, it, I even still think about it today. Like if somebody, somebody can easily find where we live and what's to stop them from vandalizing something mm-hmm. or even like any sort of intimidation or mm-hmm. God forbid, like my family is like put in some sort of like safety yeah. issue, but you know, when that happened, our daughter's room was like 10 feet like away right. from where this person like vandalized our signs. And again, it goes back to like, if they're going to do that, what's the, who's to say they wouldn't throw a brick in our house, yeah. you know? And, mm-hmm. and so you hate to go like really hyperbolic and worst case scenario situation. But I do feel like the times that we're living in, you do have to think about those things. Yeah. Like if I step out of my comfort zone and speak my mind, mm-hmm. what could happen? You know, mm-hmm. because we see it all the time. I mean, yeah. you see it all of the time mm-hmm. in like across the country mm-hmm. that, you know, people are standing up for what they feel is right, whether it's violence or threats or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't want to put my family in that situation. Right. But it, again, it's like if nobody speaks up, then, you know, mm-hmm. there's radio silence. You know that I appreciate you talking about that. Um, you know, it's one of the conversations my husband and I have all the time, you know, we have a a Black Lives Matter sign in our window and we have a hate has no home here sign, you know, in the front, in our front yard. And we've had it for a long time. And we have a little free library in our front yard and Black Lives Matter sticker on there. And every morning when I leave, I look to see if these items have been vandalized or if our house has been vandalized because we have, you know, I don't, I don't know the neighbors on the end of our street that have, um, 
the flags that they have really has some, some really explicit violent political rhetoric oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm, on their, on their flags at the end of our street. And, yeah. you know, and I always worry, like, you know, I would hope, right. I would hope that things don't happen, you know, but, but I have kids, I have two black kids, you know, and, and people know who our kids are and, and it, it's concerning. You're right. And I was just, uh, someone else mentioned, um, I put a post on Facebook um, on my podcast page today was like, hey, what other topics do you want to hear from or hear about, you know, on the podcast? And someone I know who lives um, in central Nebraska, she had mentioned one of the things that she wanted to hear about is parenting in this area. When you hold very progressive ideas, how to do that so your kid isn't alienated. We hung out with uh, some friends of ours last night who this was back before the school year started and schools here decided to, mm-hmm. you know, implement a mask policy and everything. And uh, these friends of ours, they're both like-minded and we enjoy hanging out with them, but they have a, a sixth grader at home. And uh, this was like pre-election stuff. And, and so our friend uh, was going to wear, or I think maybe did wear her, mm-hmm. her like Joe Biden t-shirt to a yeah. football game, like on a Friday mm-hmm. night. And her son said that like, almost like, I really wish you wouldn't have done that. Or like, could you like cover it up or whatever? Because like, I don't want my friends to see that or whatever, because there's, I don't know how far this goes down in terms. I mean, when kids start to understand and realize like the views of their parents and that Mm -hmm. takes hold, my heart felt sorry. Like I just felt sad for her. And just the fact that like, you know, your son wants to kind of fit in with his friend group, but yeah. then like his friend group has parents who, whatever their belief system is and whatever their political feelings are about mm-hmm. things that like, he was telling her, like, I don't want you to do that. It's yeah, it's tough. And our kids are small enough right now that obviously we don't have to necessarily worry about that, but it's definitely, it's definitely crossed my mind about the difficulty of, of doing that and mm-hmm. being like an outspoken parent, yeah. outspoken community member I mean, mm-hmm. when I write letters to the editor, my name's on it. So yep. people know who I am and what I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's fine. I'm going to take ownership of my feelings and my mm-hmm. beliefs about stuff. And um, you don't have to agree with them, but, you know, they need to be, they need to be talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, and I'm, I'm going to put together an episode, you know, about parenting specifically, you know, with progressive ideas in a rural community. Cause it's something, you know, that, that we've been, you know, as our kids, our kids are in middle school right now, they they're in sixth grade. And so like they've attended tons of protests with us, you know, they've, they've done protests and rallies here in central Nebraska, you know, and, you know, we've done lots of things and, and we had a vigil, we held vigil for Brianna Taylor on the one year anniversary of her murder in Grand Island. And I remember you saying that. Yeah. mm -hmm. And it was, it was the first one our kids had been to since they've really, I feel like been old enough to think about beyond just what's happening in the moment. You know what I mean? Like they can kind of think about the implications and the ramifications and, and I won't spill, I won't spill the beans, you know, on this podcast, because it's something I want to talk about the next, but it was, you know, it was really hard. It was really complicated. And and it brought up some really hard, complicated conversations for our kids, you know, and thinking about like, they're putting themselves out there in a way that's different than, you know, when they're in second grade, holding up a sign that says we love refugees, you know, exactly. Um, exactly. it's a totally different, totally different ball game when your kids are in, in junior high and, and even elementary school too. But, you know, that's, that's a, a podcast for another day. I'm excited to talk about that one. So 
Well, and I, I just think that like, you know, did, did Grand Island have like, a um, after, after George Floyd and everything, like, yeah. did they have something in Grand Island also? They did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, and we were talking before, before we started recording about the one here yeah. and it was nice to see lots of young people at the one we had. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers of how many people came, Yeah. but I'm almost embarrassed to say that like, that's the first time I've protested something, yeah. you know, yeah. but given the social climate, given the fact that everybody was stuck in their houses and not doing anything for a while yeah. or not seeing people also, I think, spurred a lot of like people really wanting that, those interactions again mm-hmm. to like interact with people. But like, that was the first time that I, you know, like I held up a sign, I walked down the street and everybody's got their own way of doing stuff. Like some sure. people weren't yelling and chanting, some people were, some people just held up signs. Right. But I would say it was, I mean, it was just so eye-opening though, the number of people that drove past mm-hmm. yelling stuff, yeah. honking, some were honking probably in, in support, for, in support mm-hmm. and, and some were not, Right. but the number of people that were yelling yeah. that even at the, at the, the event before we started marching, mm-hmm. um, there was a vehicle again of younger like high school aged kids, they drove around the block. I don't know how many different times with flags flying from the back of their truck bed. And essentially it was just there. I mean, they, they were like intimidating a little bit or trying to intimidate a little bit. And of course, then they got out and wanted to have conversations with the police officers who were there present and Mm -hmm. almost just like, Hey, these guys are on our side type thing. You know, like that's kind of, they felt one, they wanted to be chummy with like the police officers and it's really hard. I mean, like I'm almost 40 right? (laughs) and I can temper my rage a little bit, right? but it is so difficult to just hold your tongue. Not want to say something back, not want to yell something, Mm -hmm. not want to approach the vehicle Mm -hmm. to just say, Hey, what are you guys doing here? Like any, anything like that, or just like, Hey, listen guys, like we're just trying to do this. Yeah. I mean, but again, like you want to model good behavior for other people. And there was a lot of younger people at the, at the yeah. event too. And it's just like, oh, I have like no, no problem speaking my mind about something, but, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's hard not to, it's, it's hard mm-hmm. not to retaliate yeah. verbally in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So next question, um, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about your work with community health. So you've done a lot of great work with community health from supporting the food pantry um, to supporting the community garden at Hastings Middle School, which is super cool, by the way, um, to to just pandemic information overall, combating misinformation. Um, Why is community health so important to you? Um, A a good question. It seems like a very simple question. Again, when you posed it to me, I thought about like, why am I so interested in community <laughs> health? Yeah. I'm a nurse. Right. Uh, but I, I don't know, like, like health and wellness, I feel like I've always just been interested in, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. like for me personally, like, mm-hmm. you know, being physically healthy and, and mentally healthy. And I think it was my first or second year working at the hospital here, working at Mary Lanning that um, we had to read a book or they gave this copy of this book out to all the employees and it was about wellness. I don't remember if it was like the seven pillars or five pillars or mm-hmm. whatever it was, but it talked about like a person's wellness and what that, I mean, it's kind of a buzzword I know, mm-hmm. but um, you know, like what does wellness mean or what, what does wellness involve? 
And, you know, it, it kind of hit these different pillars, like your, your social wellness, your financial wellness, your physical, mental, spiritual wellness, right. and how that plays into someone's like overall well-being. Mm-hmm. And it, obviously, if you're, you know, deficient in certain areas, like kind of throws you off. It's right. like, you know, the three-legged stool mm-hmm. analogy where if you don't have one of those, you're going to fall over. But right. I think it was like that plus a combination of maybe taking um, a couple classes in nursing school mm-hmm. uh, about like community health, yeah. um, public health. We did talk about like social determinants of health and nursing. Yeah. And the the career field of nursing is such a holistic like mm-hmm. view of like what makes a person well, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's not just addressing their like their medical needs, but mm-hmm. it really is like looking at the whole person Mm-hmm. And, you know, like somebody could take all the, all their medicines to, you know, keep all their health problems in check, mm-hmm. but that might not necessarily solve like their, their emotional well-being right. or their spiritual well-being or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's probably like those things that have sort of like lit a fire because when you do think about all of the inequalities, I mean, across the board, and it's, it's just, it's no wonder we're so... It just feels like sometimes we're so broken. Like everybody's broken, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all the systems are broken. <laughs> How do we fix all of this stuff? But um, yeah, it's it's um, the the garden kind of came out because um, a good friend of mine, Jason Stoddard, mm-hmm. who uh, who runs the garden. When I moved to Hastings and um, taught over at Saint Cecilia. Him and I went to high school together. We were talking about ways to kind of engage students or like yeah. projects, those sorts of things, labs. What could we do? He had always had this idea of wanting a greenhouse. He was always interested in plants and botany, environmental right. science. And so that was his sort of big idea was, you know, I, I want to have a greenhouse or I want to at least be able to have like an outdoor classroom. And so I was like with him day one, pounding stakes into the ground and <laughs> helping out a lot with, with the garden nights they have. I started up a newsletter when I was quite a bit more active in it. Mm-hmm. I would do like a weekly newsletter we called The Green Thumb. I would type up information about like what was going on at the garden, yeah. but also almost like nutritional information, yeah. like pick a vegetable of the week or whatever, and then like That's include cool. a recipe. Yeah. And how could you incorporate stuff from the garden and like, things you eat at home. And that was when I was a lot more involved. I've since fallen by the wayside a little Mm -hmm. bit, but this Mm -hmm. summer I'll I'll be a lot more involved. But he's just, you know, he's got a big picture of what, how this can look on even a larger scale where you roll out this similar project process framework in other communities at other school districts, because food insecurity is a real thing. But, but the garden touches on like all of those other things of like, what it means to be well, you know, like it's a sense of community. It's a sense of belonging. You know, Mm -hmm. you're meeting with other people, you're working Mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully you're eating the fresh produce, you know? And it's also, it's like, it's, again, it goes back to like, it's a service activity. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like nobody, it's a volunteering thing. No one's getting paid there, but we're all showing up to work in the garden, Mm -hmm. to give free food away to people and to try and get the word out to even more people that this exists to maybe fill in those needs that they might have from the food standpoint. Yeah. But I think that this, like this project can be so much bigger than what it is. I know he's done a lot of speaking engagements and interviews for different things about how a similar project could be rolled out to other places. 
So we're coming close to the end of our time together. Um, but before we move into the wrap up questions, I just wanted to take the time to point out that you are your super busy guy. You've got a full-time job, you're a small business owner, married, two kids, <laughs> you're involved, you know, in lots of things. Um, and you've managed, um, to continue to stay involved and to advocate for the issues that matter to you. So, what advice would you give, you know, to listeners who feel like they want to get involved, but maybe they don't have the time or they don't know how? What, what advice would you give them? I mean, honestly, and I wrote down a list of things and I'm like That's reading awesome. them right now off my notes, but I just think it comes down to like, what is your passion? Like, mm-hmm. what are your interests? I mean, you don't have to know everything about politics. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know everything about a certain issue. Mm-hmm. Pick one thing that you're really interested in and just like run with it. Yeah. I have a lot of interests, which makes it difficult because I yeah. kind of want to like be involved in everything yeah. or I would like to if I had the time to. But I feel like past 12 months, it's just been a huge eye opener in terms of in terms of information and how people get their information and me being a voice of like reason. People know me, like people know my wife and I in the community. We've lived here for a decade. You know, mm-hmm. we own a business. We, uh, I'm, my role at the hospital is a very, like, like my face is on a lot of stuff, you know? And so I feel like people respect my opinions. Yeah. They may not agree with them, but I think they know that they come from a place of like thoughtfulness Mm -hmm. and they come from a place of caring and that it's just really only been in this last 12 months that I've, that I feel like I've used my voice. In a, in a way to make like positive change. You know, I've always had those conversations with friends and, you know, sure. you stay up late having drinks and you solve yeah. all the world's problems. Right. Everybody's had those nights. Yeah. But then it's like, how do you put that into action? Yes. Like, what can you do? Yeah. And I think by me just starting to write letters to the editor, mm-hmm. it kind of opened up, it just opened my eyes a little bit like, oh, geez, there's a lot of people that do still read the newspaper, by yes. the way. There's yes. a lot of people that have like, read what I've written. Mm-hmm. There's also people that disagree with a lot of stuff that I've written. Right. But I just felt like that was the best way to reach lots of people. Yeah. Because it's not a social media algorithm. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a Facebook post. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people on my Facebook feed. I, I post lots of what I feel to be like good information, credible information, news stories that I feel are relevant, all those things. And Due to the way social media platforms are designed, I guarantee like 75% of the people don't see anything that I write. And so that's kind of what also led me to thinking like, you know what, I should just write a letter to the editor because I know lots of people will see it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a way to advocate for something that other than just like yelling online, you know, that (laughs) it's. It's a way to do that. And so that led into me also like attending city council meetings. Yes. I was asked last summer, this even preceded the writing letters to the editor, mm-hmm. but I was asked last summer by someone um, after I went to the the march here in Hastings uh, to show up to a school board meeting and talk mm-hmm. about like more inclusive education for Perfect. students because they knew I was at that event. Yes. So they yeah. thought like, hey, maybe like I know you and mm-hmm. you're fairly well-spoken. Like maybe mm-hmm. you want to come talk to the school board. I know a lot of school board members too. Yeah. And so um, it gave me an opportunity mm-hmm. to like sit in front of the school board and basically say why I think this is important. This issue is important. Right. And it's using like, you can go to a city council meeting because they're open to the public. 
So yeah. sit in one, like listen to people talk and listen to what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really easy to, to complain about stuff online, mm-hmm. but that's not going to get anything done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a bunch of people yelling at each other. Right. And so if you want to get something done, then like go to the source, go to the school board yeah. meeting, go to the yeah. city council meeting, write a letter to the editor. I found that reaching out to your elected officials on the state and national level is not as uh, <laughs> helpful given our current uh, state senator from our legislative district and then our representative in Congress. But then again, uh, you know, attend like our, our state senator does like town hall. Yes. You know, or, or was doing like coffee with the senator or whatever. And so, so I had attended those like a couple of years ago when we were still like doing things in public. So I think it's just like, yeah, finding what you're passionate about and then going from there. I mean, not everybody's going to be, I told you, like, I'm not, I'm not the best public speaker in the world, but mm-hmm. I have something to say. And yeah. it just takes like getting out of your comfort zone a little mm-hmm. bit to just yeah. like say how you feel. And trust me, I mean, for anybody listening who hasn't done it before, it's like, it is so much easier to just post something online. (laughs) Like, I understand that it is so easy to just fire off a sentence on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. It is way more difficult to stand in front of people and to say, this is, this is what I, this is how I think about this. This is Mm -hmm. what I feel about this. And Mm -hmm. like, what are we going to do to fix this Mm -hmm. problem? Or what, how are we going to address this issue? It's it's way more difficult, mm-hmm. but you also feel like you're, you're accomplishing something. Um, and so when I did attend the, when I did attend the meetings for like our mask, mask policy here in, uh, in Hastings, those were, those were some of the first city council meetings I had ever been to. But again, it's something like I was concerned about being in healthcare, working in healthcare, having worked with COVID patients, having mm-hmm. seen really sick people and understanding the issue maybe a little bit better. Like that was what was in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So I was comfortable talking about it. So it's like, what's in your wheelhouse? Like, yes. what are you comfortable talking about? You don't have to know everything about everything. If you're really passionate about one or two things, mm-hmm. then find other people who are also passionate about yeah. those things and then step out of your comfort zone. I love that. I love that you mentioned like finding other people, you know, who are, who have some similar passions, you know, cause I think a lot of times we tend to overcomplicate things. You know, we tend to think like, oh, the people that, you know, the decisions that are being made, they're just beyond our control. And it's just simply untrue. Right. I mean, it's just simply untrue. And, and, um, like our city officials, they appreciate hearing from people. Um, they really do. Even if they don't agree with the same ideas that we share, um, they still appreciate hearing from people. Um, you know, and I mean, just, you know, perfect example, the, the colorblind billboards, I think you were in on that group, you know, that we were, we gathered a a group of folks from central Nebraska who have just really had it with these colorblind billboards, these billboards, billboards that say I am colorblind and they're signed from God. And there's several of them in central Nebraska. And, um, and we just got tired of it one day. We're like, this is, this is dumb. Let's just contact the company, right? And there were probably, I don't know, like 10, 15 of us that just contacted the company, did it all within a few days. And they were like, okay, yeah, we didn't even realize, you know, yeah. like we didn't realize that these billboards were racist. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. We're going to work on getting them down. They're still in the process of getting them down. I followed in, up in, with them. In the works, in the works. Yeah. In the works. I followed up with them on Tuesday. They were like, yes, we know, Danielle. Like, <laughs> They're like, know me by name. Yes, we know. We have you, we have you on the whiteboard. Right. We know who you are. Exactly. It's on the schedule. Okay. It's, you know, it takes time. I'm like, I get it. I get it. Just don't want you to forget. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just something simple like that. I mean, you just got to ask, right? If you don't ask, 
for what you're hoping for, you know, the outcome that you're hoping for, nothing's ever going to change, you know? Exactly. And I, and I think like you, you had mentioned how, and it is, it's so easy to look at big issue. I mean, things that seem like really large and you're like, Mm -hmm. how are we going to fix this? Mm -hmm. How is this, how are we going to get any movement to change Mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. And granted, there are a lot of structural things like politically and like, there are lots of obstacles to sure. getting progressive ideas moved forward. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if you are okay with stepping out of your comfort zone to have the conversation, difficult conversations mm-hmm. with people or attend something, yeah. speak up or just listen, just sit and listen to other people. Yeah. But I think like, if you are so inclined to give your own personal story about like why this is important to you, like, there's still value in that. Yeah. There's there's still value in you attending something and saying, you know what? This is why I am so concerned about this. This is right. why I am passionate about this. Right. Because for me, like going to the mass, it's like I work with people on yeah. a daily basis yeah. who like I wasn't in the ICU all the time, but I know ICU nurses. Right. And they're not comfortable. None of us have been comfortable this whole time. Right. It's like healthcare workers have been fearful, but we know we have to take care of people. Right. You know, it's like, but, but saying those things that are personal to you still resonates with people, you know? And so I think like, that's really important because again, it's not a, it's not a post online. It's not, it's not screaming into the void. Mm-hmm. You know, you're actually mm-hmm. interacting with somebody else who could maybe like make that vote or that decision to change something, you know? And you, you never know, like, what you're going to say, like what's going to stick with somebody else. But if you don't say it, then nothing's going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like little things, little involvements over time. Yeah. I appreciate that. So coming to the end of our time, we've got some rapid fire questions and I didn't send this one to you, but I I think you can answer it anyway. (laughs) I know I'm going to, I'm going to just throw one at you, but you know, as we're talking about, and I'm going to start asking everyone this question um, in the wrap up questions, but you know, when we're talking about like being progressive voices in rural spaces, this can be, I want to acknowledge that this can be really hard, right? Like we talked about how, you know, we tend to overcomplicate things, but like you had mentioned before with the signs in your yard that had gotten vandalized and there are real ramifications. And so it can feel really um, overwhelming and it can feel hopeless to try to be that consistent um, voice, like speaking into a void, it feels like sometimes. So this, this wrap up question that I want to ask you is like, what's, what's something that gives you hope? I think something that gives me hope is like it sounds kind of corny mm-hmm. but okay. like the youth like this is the most Kids, man they're gonna say it is the most diverse yeah like when you're talking about i mean the the population as a whole in our country mm-hmm. obviously a lot of baby boomers there's, mm-hmm. a, there's you know a large percentage of older people in our country not all of mm-hmm. them are super conservative but sure. a lot of them are yeah. but i just think that like the gen- this generation that is coming up Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that easily dismiss them as, you mm-hmm. know, like they're all addicted to their phones and it's technology and like, but there are like really smart kids, yeah. you know, and also these kids, I feel like they have more empathy and these are like yeah. broad statements, but I just yeah. feel like there is much more empathy, mm-hmm. um, di- obviously diversity mm-hmm. and some of the issues that have just been lingering 
under the surface yeah. that have been problems for a long time. And I'm not specifically saying like racist issues, although we'll get to my favorite, my book I'm reading here in a second, but, <laughs> um, but just the fact that like, this kind of goes back to the p- pandemic, but like yeah. the pandemic has revealed so many problems. Yes. And I think that so many more people are aware of these problems now. Income inequality is huge. Healthcare is huge. Mm-hmm. Paid child leave. I mean, like, mm-hmm. there are just so many issues mm-hmm. that this thing is laid bare for people to go, huh, why don't people get paid a living wage? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, how is it that a bunch of corporations made astronomical amounts mm-hmm. of money mm-hmm. while we were, like, groveling for $1,200 checks? Right. You know? And so... Yeah. I guess I am just hopeful because there is this diverse generation that's coming up that to me, just it se- they seem more empathetic and just, yes. they seem just more in tune to like progressive issues, which yeah. I know that's not uncommon for, you know, like teenagers, 20 somethings like to be yeah. more progressive minded anyway. But, um, but I think because like all these issues have like risen to the surface now yeah. that more people are just aware of them. Yeah. And now it's just a matter of, okay, now that we all, now that we kind of all know that these things are problems, what are we going to do to fix them? Right. You know, and, and that's the next challenge, but mm-hmm. I am hopeful because people are talking about them. Yeah. You yeah. know, we didn't get to just real quick. I'm going to pop mm-hmm. this in here. Yeah. We didn't get to like what some of my influences were and I'll just right. show it. But like, if you've never read, read this oh. book, it's called the speech. Yeah. My older brother gave this to me uh, like 10 years ago. And it was Bernie Sanders' filibuster speech Mm. about corporate greed, declining middle class, everything that essentially like has eroded away like the quality of life for so many people. And again, this kind of goes back to the pandemic thing, but like it's just shown us like how unfair, unequal society as a whole is. And I'm speaking as like a pretty like a Mm well-off person. Yeah. And I'm not woke. Like Mm -hmm. I've understood that these are problems for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But now more people know about them. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's, that's awesome. I mean, the kids have seen some shit lately. Like they've seen some shit, you know, they've, when you talk about climate change, when you talk about like, and even now it's like, you know, like their parents might be out of work or like have decreased uh, work hours. It's like they're struggling to make ends meet. And now the government, you know, is like giving them money to help people out. It's like, well, they should like people need help. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, kids are growing up in like the weirdest. I mean, we're all living through the strange time. Right. (laughs) Um, But, but kids are just like sponges. They absorb Mm -hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And although we're all going through a collective trauma here, like, yeah, I think they are just like, I do hope that there is action taken or they understand like there's, there's reasons to like get involved. Yes. You know? And, yeah. and if enough of you get involved, mm-hmm. then things can happen. Yeah. You know, but if we all sit on the sideline, you know, nothing's going to happen. Right. So, right. That's awesome. Well, yeah. cool. Thanks for letting me lob that question to you. <laughs> I was the first person that answered it. You're the first person, right? Yes. So <laughs> now yeah. everyone else will know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So next question, next in the rapid fire lineup, what are you reading right now? 
Okay. So I, I mentioned that book. Mm -hmm. I read that a long time ago. I might have to reread it, but no. So you'll love it. I think, you know, Uh maybe I'm reading the sum of us. Oh yes. Have you started reading it or have you read it yet? No, I haven't yet. It's on my Goodreads. It's on the next book that I will order. And, and it was, and so the sum of us is by Heather Mm -hmm. McGee. And the reason it like, it was kind of flagged for me is, uh, all the different podcasts I listened to. She was a guest on a couple of them. Yeah. And just hearing her talk, I actually, what I started doing, and I don't know how many podcasts you listen to, but mm-hmm. um, what I started doing on my phone was um, I, I made a list like in my notes. Yeah. It just says books and authors. Okay. And yeah. so whenever I, so I don't have to go back to podcasts and see like who was the guest or like, yeah, and look at the show notes or yeah. whatever. Like I'll just pause the podcast, type that into my, That's brilliant. my notes. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm, I'm basically just going down the list of what I've, Gotcha. You know, written down like, oh yeah, I remember that person. Like, I want to buy their book. Yeah. So she was kind of next on the list, and um, but it's a really, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm halfway through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the overarching theme is like she talks throughout the book about like having a solidarity or like thinking yes. in terms of like a solidarity dividend, mm-hmm. where um, and I and I kind of had to look it up or like so I could paraphrase this, but essentially, it, like the solidarity dividend is the gains available to everyone mm-hmm. when they unite across racial lines in the form of whatever the, the, the concern or issue is. Right. So it's like, there's so much more we have in common. Yeah. It's like the whole phrase, like we have more that unites us than divides us type thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, the powers that be try to like really wedge in certain things. Mm-hmm. To like, it's like a me, it's like a me versus you. Yeah. And so like the title, like the zero sum or, or the, sorry, the sum of us, us, um, like her major story in the book is about how reintegration post segregation, like essentially all these community pools that were built like lavish Olympic size pools Mm -hmm. that were like public pools, uh, across the country, Mm -hmm. not just in deep South across Mm -hmm. the country. Um, when they didn't want to let black families, children swim at these pools, they filled them in, filled them with concrete. and I had never heard that story. Yeah, before. just filled me with concrete. And it is insane to me to think yeah. that like local, state, federal, whatever, like whatever level made these decisions to just like, you know what, we're just going to get rid of this. No yeah. one's going to have fun. I'm right. taking away the toy. You know, like <laughs> th- that's what it is. It's like, we don't want this to happen. So mm-hmm. we're just going to, we're just going to take away from everybody. And mm-hmm. so the book just talks about how racism it doesn't matter what racial or ethnic group you're talking about. Like it's bad for everybody. It hurts everyone. It yes. hurts everyone. Yeah. Um, and that's like kind of her prime example, yeah. but there's multiple examples throughout the book with, you know, like um, with unionization, mm-hmm. um, with housing discrimination, mm-hmm. with colleges, universities, I mean, across the board. So it's a very good book. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend you check yeah. it out. Yeah. I know you will. I will. I will. I have it. Um, I listen to, do you listen to how to citizen with Baratunde? Um, a podcast oh, a podcast. I've yeah. never added to my list. Oh, it's really, really good. Um, podcast. yeah, it's so good. So his, his, his season that he's in right now, um, is all focused on, um, economics. Mm-hmm. And so the, he did an interview with the author of that Heather McGee. Um, and the episode was called, why is our economy so white? Um, and it was a fabulous conversation, you know, and talking about economics and um, how racism hurts everyone economically, you know, oh, yeah. um, res- res- 
really fantastic. So I appreciate you making, you know, bring that up. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I'm just going to put a plug in for how to citizen with Baratunde. Fantastic podcast. So I was going to say, I could list off a whole ton of podcasts. I, I mean, I, I primarily listen to pod save America on a weekly basis, yes. but um, I got so a bunch good. of different ones. There's a new one actually called the cost of care that talks about mm. uh, healthcare costs, which is yeah. really interesting. It's like a 10 part series that I started listening to. That's uh, awesome. But Pod Save America is kind of my go-to. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, next question. What is one of your favorite local organizations or nonprofits? Through Mary Lanning, they have a program called Healthy Beginnings, which is essentially uh, a program that they have to help support like new moms and and infants. And so anybody can like donate, like we've donated plenty of stuff that like our kids, whether it's clothes or bottle i mean you name it toys doesn't matter books like Mm -hmm. because um and and again this kind of goes back to when i was in nursing school we spent uh a couple days i think we did like house calls with the nurses Mm -hmm. that work for healthy beginnings that go into homes that do these like wellness checks and it was like it was so sad now that i have small children and trying to have this like environment for them to obviously a positive, like enriching environment for them mm-hmm. to grow up in. Yeah. I just like, like some of those images are burned in my mind of just almost like an empty house. It's just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you know, they're probably renting it. It's run down. Mm-hmm. There's like nothing colorful. There's no mm-hmm. books, there's nothing. And it's mm-hmm. just like, it was just so sad. And these mm-hmm. young moms, you know, I don't know what they were doing as far as income goes or if they were working or whatever, but just the situation for those kids growing up in those environments. And so healthy beginnings really kind of addresses, I want to say it's like zero to two or zero to three, but um, just the needs of like parents and kids. And so we, and we've donated some money to them in the past Mm -hmm. and we've, we try and donate like items are like most appreciated. Sure. Um, So that's a good organization. And then like we've donated to the Hastings, Hastings high food pantry too. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So they have a food pantry at Hastings High. They do. I was cool. so, my That's wife awesome. is a math teacher up at Hastings High. And when I found out that that was getting off the ground, yeah, it was, again, it was kind of one of those things like, they need one of those. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah. And, and just to like, just to have heard that and, and to hear like, there are families that are like struggling. I've said this to numerous people. You drive through, I mean, really any community, but Hastings is an example, you know, you drive through Hastings, down Burlington, 9th, 7th, whatever, mm-hmm. de- the downtown area. If you're not getting off the beaten path and you're just kind of driving through Hastings, you're like, nice little community. You know, mm-hmm. people seem friendly. They got a nice little downtown area. Um, there's some nice homes, everything. But it's like there are real families that are like struggling here. Yeah. And I just think it is so, I mean, it's it's so easy to forget, mm-hmm. I guess, or just not acknowledge yeah. um, that like there are people that have high needs. Yeah. Um, and so I was surprised to hear it, but, um, yeah, we try to donate. I don't know. We need to get on a better schedule of like, like once a month, but you know, we've tried to buy, um, you know, like laundry detergent in the past and food items and stuff like that. But that's great. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Okay. And then last question. And I know this is going to, this is always like the hardest one for people because there's so many great, but it's, what is your favorite local shop and restaurant? I'm not going to um, say there's so many business. great places. <laughs> I can say my own business, but I won't say my <laughs> own business. And I'm also not going to plug my own business. So I won't even say the name of it. Uh, somebody can look it up. Right. But, okay. Um, but no, we really, my wife and I, uh, we love eating at Odyssey. Yeah. It's like hands down, like the best restaurant. Yeah. 
Um, but we love eating at Odyssey and uh, Jamie, the manager there is great. I actually worked for him for a really small stint. Cool. Um, I bartended when he owned uh, Wine Styles yeah. a while back. But anyway, so Odyssey's great. We love that. And then uh, just right around the corner is First Street Brewing Company. Yes. And uh, and they have a big patio that we enjoy. And we know, uh, I mean, small town, you know, you know the owners too. And it's just, those are two like local businesses mm-hmm. we just love to support. And being mm-hmm. a local business owner ourselves, like we understand the importance of, um, thankfully it's not our sole source of income. Right. Um, it's something we decided to start up, but um, but we understand like being a small business owner and the importance of like community support from, right. you know, from other small businesses and people that it's like, well, yeah, that's like the lifeblood of communities is mm-hmm. really like small businesses. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was a great conversation. Um, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Dr. William Barber says in his book, The Third Reconstruction, he says, quote, when we stand for what is good and right, evil will employ every power at its disposal to take us out. A heavy backlash against our movement for justice may hurt. It may well make us weep and moan, but it must not deter us. In fact, it should encourage us because resistance is our confirmation that we are on the right track, end quote. You see, resistance in the pursuit of justice is inevitable. We should come to expect it. And I might even argue that if we're not facing resistance, we might need to change up our messaging, tactics, or even our audience. Resistance lets us know we're on the right track in pursuing justice. Now, it might be tempting to apply this concept to any idea, like, say, the 2020 election being rigged. So folks whose false ideas are challenged with the truth might say, but look at all this resistance we're facing. This is confirmation we are doing the right thing. But that's clearly not what the Reverend Doctor is talking about in this passage. The resistance people are facing with the lie of the election being rigged is resistance with truth, not a backlash of evil. When we engage in standing for what is right— we will face resistance. Let's just come to expect it. That's all for this episode. Thanks to Andrew for being a guest on my show. And as always, a huge display of gratitude to my partner, Nate, for editing and answering all of my technology questions. To stay in the loop about podcast happenings, check me out on Facebook at Left in the Middle Pod. Podcast music by What a Boy from Pixabay. 